0: Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt the High Country podcast. I'm Brad Carter with AltitudeOutdoors.com. Really stoked to have you guys back for another episode. I know it's been a minute since we released a podcast episode, but it really means a lot to me for you guys to tune back in, follow along with us, and, and uh, be patient with us as we release new episodes with some of some really cool guests who take you know time out of their busy lives to sit down and and share stories of their hunts and and different things like that. We've been recording in the studio uh, several podcasts. So over the next few weeks uh, we'll be releasing those. So tune in, subscribe through your favorite podcast platforms that you're listening on right now and uh, be sure to leave us a review. We always love to hear your feedback. You can always email me brad at altitudeoutdoors.com or hit me up on social media. So a couple of Quick updates before we jump into this one. We just launched a brand new website at altitudeoutdoors.com. We moved over to a new website platform. It's going to help us deliver uh, more content and more gear to all of you. So head over there, check it out. There's a brand new program I'm really excited about, where you can earn free gear. Uh, we're calling it the Altitude Bucks. If you check the site out, bottom right corner, you can sign up. There's no fees. Uh, nothing to do to sign up other than just sign up so and as soon as you sign up you can earn up to five bucks off your next purchase and then as you purchase items you will you'll you will earn points towards free gear so great way for us to give back to our loyal customers and uh, and we're excited to offer that uh, new program on our website the other thing that I've announced recently on our social media, which you may have seen, is the Altitude Conservation Fund. This is a, a cool thing that uh, you know I've been thinking about how to give back for quite a while. And I think this is the best way uh, f- for that to happen. So a portion of the proceeds of every sale made at altitudeoutdoors.com is going to create the Altitude Conservation Fund. Uh, these funds can then be used. Uh, or allocated to specific projects or organizations where we feel like we can see a big return on our investment. Uh, you can also, during the checkout process, on the on the new website, you can uh, donate directly to that fund if you feel so inclined. Uh, we're excited to make a difference through some conservation efforts. And, and uh, this gives us an opportunity to really pick and choose where to put those monies and where to put our efforts Uh, in regards to that so anyway guys check it out altitudeoutdoors.com once again thank you so much for listening this is a great episode we have coming up with Gil Roden, and he took a really great buck in wyoming last year kind of a cool deal he's a high country hunter and you'll find out this isn't wasn't a high country buck so it's fun to talk to him about his change tactics um and mindset and uh here is his story, he's a fantastic storyteller. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Billy Kennington and Gil Roden.
1: Gil, how are you doing tonight?
2: I'm doing good, thank you
1: yeah we're we're excited to have you and talk about this awesome buck that you were able to harvest last year.
2: Well, I'm excited to talk about it. it don't get old
1: <laughs> I bet uh so Gil, why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself? um You can say anything that you want and let the listeners know kind of who you are and um, what you do and then we'll we'll go from there
2: okay, yeah uh. I'm Gil Roden. I uh, have lived in Wyoming pretty much my whole life uh, since elementary school, and uh, like most people from Wyoming, I enjoy the outdoors. Uh, have hunted pretty much my whole life, and after so long of hunting, I guess you just kind of turn into you just want a little more of a challenge. So then you start going for. Bigger, better animals, just trophy hunting, I guess. Uh, that's kind of where, where I'm at on the whole hunting side. Um, I work in the oil field. Uh, got a wife and a kid. We go fishing all the time, uh, ride horses, just do stuff outdoors.
1: So let's just jump right into it. Uh, uh, why don't you anyone that has followed anything online, um, gills, gills buck was unbelievable last year. Um, probably one of the coolest deer that I have ever seen. Um, and we just kind of wanted to get in and not only talk about and hear your story, but just come here, some of your thought processes and different things as you were able to actually take this 230 inch giant with, uh, with a bow, which is no small feat. So, um, Gil, why don't you just go ahead and talk about, you know, kind of when you found him, um, kind of the process of just starting out, and then we'll go from there.
2: So this, I normally hunt the, the mountains uh, over G and H where most people go. Uh, but this this deer, I actually heard a couple stories of a big deer and normally when you hear those in the back of your mind you're thinking ah probably a 170 180 buck you know but I did hear that it was a real big deer 40 inches this and that so I would drive around I kinda knew where and so I'd go cruise around go walk walk the little hills looking and, uh, found quite a few decent deer, but nothing huge. I didn't know the guy at the time, but, uh, I seen a picture of a guy with some sheds and I knew where he lived. And so I, I found the guy, contacted him and met up with him and seen the sheds. And, uh, Figured that was probably the deer that I'd been hearing about. So, I uh, kept on looking and ended up finding him, which was pretty crazy because I found him in, it was like mid, mid-May, and I already knew it was him.
1: Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It was insane. I mean, it, it, he was little, but compared to all the other bucks, like that was just, he was with 12 other bucks and I was like, there he is. And I stuck with them till September 2nd. Wow. He consumed my life, man. He was, <laughs> he was worth it too. Heck yeah.
0: So, uh... Did, did he move a lot or would he kind of stay in the same general area from May to September?
2: For the most part year round, he didn't move much. Um, I found right where his sheds were dropped and actually he shed in uh, mid February and this, there was one other guy that, that was watching him, he was the only guy watching him at that point Uh, he was coyote hunting and stumbled across it and uh, so he watched him till he shed and then when he was looking for the sheds he found one side he kept looking found another of the same side and then ended up turning up two sets from 17 and 18. So I knew where he wintered and it was the same place that he was summering and the same place that like he, he didn't move much. I'd lose him for maybe two weeks. So, you know, he'd wander a little bit, but I knew one of the guys that said he, would seen him before. And it was a ways from where he lived. But I just think every, you know, month or two, he'd just do a little wandering and then be back at his home in a couple weeks and then sit there.
1: So I know with the the high country bucks, a lot of times they'll have a core area from what you're saying. It sounds like this one did as well. Um, Do you have geographically, do you have any, I mean, any idea of how big that core area was or would you find him pretty much within a mile of you know where his sheds were
2: yeah i'd say a mile or two circle like yeah he wouldn't go very far and a lot of this you know a lot of this land looks flat but it's not if you walk it you know driving down a road i would never think to look for deer where he was but you, you pull over and just start walking. You can walk for miles and find a lot of deer.
0: Was he in the like, tell us a little bit about like the, kind of the terrain he lived in. Was it just sagebrush or was there like patches of pine trees or aspens or what's that habitat kind of look like?
2: There was, there was some trees, but they were, they were miles away and I, I don't, to my knowledge, he never went over there. Uh, he would, there's honestly very little sagebrush. It was just patchy sagebrush here and there as well. Um, I've seen a, I seen a couple pictures of him back in 2016 uh, after I killed him uh, that he was in some pretty deep sage that I didn't recognize where that was. So he traveled a decent distance that day, but I also know that guy hunted him for three years and never found him again. So I just think that was one of his. I'm going to wander off for a week, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. But uh. Yeah. But no, it was it was just a bunch of dirt and rocks and a little bit of grass here and there. It was pretty bare, and you'd barely look for an antelope where he was. <laughs> That's crazy so he, he was just kind of using the topography of the he lived in uh in ditches pretty much he'd come out at night and roam around and he'd just live in the little washes and ditches and out there you know and that it don't take much to create a pretty good drainage when the runoff comes and there's some decent drainages and he had three or four of them that were his favorite ones but there was multiple drainages that you wouldn't even know you was there if you were just standing there looking across the flat. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's the interesting thing. A lot of people drive across Wyoming and they think it's just flat sagebrush. Right. <laughs> but once you like when you're at I'm, and I haven't hunted deer in the in the high desert that much, but uh, you know antelope I have. And when you get out in it, it's a lot more interesting than it looks from the freeway for sure
2: it really is yeah and that that again helps uh like that that guy that had the sheds was telling me i told him i was gonna try to get this buck with a bow and he giggled and said that's impossible like you can't (laughs) but i mean like you said you get out there and there's 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 places to maneuver you know Oh, yeah. Yeah, if he can hide in a ditch, I guess you can, too, huh? Exactly.
1: So, Gil, why don't you talk a little bit about your, obviously, a deer like this for just those of you that are listening. I mean, we're talking mass like the buck of justice. Like, your buck and then the buck of justice are probably the only ones I've ever seen that has mass. We talk coke can mass, like this is double coke can mass. So, (laughs) obviously, a deer like this... Um, if people find or going, I mean, it's it could turn into, you know, a big competition and everything. So why don't you talk a little bit as you watched him from mid-May to September of kind of kinda your thought process and what, what went on just to kind of keep this quiet so that, that you'd eventually, hopefully, have this buck to yourself.
2: I live for mule deer. I, I love to hunt everything, but I've always been a mule deer hunter. I knew what this deer was, you know, so like I said, I went and seen his sheds, um, keeping it quiet was, that's key, like the internet has destroyed big deer, someone puts out pictures and you get, you know, all these dedicated deer hunters after this one deer, like someone's getting him, you know and it's something that i guess then killing the deer isn't the hard part it's killing him before the next guy does or i guess that's harder you know so i talked to that guy with the sheds and i i said exactly that i'm like this deer is still alive like you cannot be putting these pictures on the internet everyone and their dogs are going to be trying to find him, and uh he said he didn't, he just sent it to a couple buddies and I was like, yeah, then they're going to send it to a couple buddies, you know, that's just how it works. Didn't tell hardly anybody. Like I said, I found a, a deer that I'm watching. Like I didn't show no pictures like, and I just told my buddies, my two hunting buddies, Nick and Jordan, he's a big buck. And then, uh, Finally ended up, them two are the only two that that ever went with me, but um, we just, I didn't, I had hours of footage of this deer from all summer long, and we never sent it to nobody, never nothing, like, you just got to keep it quiet. And the internet is, it spreads like wildfire, so that's the last thing you want to do. If you ever know a good deer hunter or elk hunter or any kind of hunter and he normally posts pictures and then all of a sudden he's silent all summer, you know he's on a big one. <laughs> You'll see it after <laughs> he's dead, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's interesting how that works, you know. People send yeah. pictures around. And it travels fast. I mean, I I agree with you on that. You just can't even chance it with even one person, you know? I mean, if there's a couple like little, if you got your circle of trust with your best buds or whatever, that's one thing. But as soon as it gets outside of there, you can't control the distribution of it anymore. So as you uh, were watching this buck, taking footage of him, keeping quiet, sneaking out and watching him, like what were you thinking as far as, and you don't know of anyone else that was hunting him, huh? Like in that area, or was there, did you know if find anybody else watching him?
2: no nobody was um and if they were they weren't in the right spot they they there might have been people looking for him but they didn't know where he was Mm -hmm. uh out there in that desert terrain you can you can drive a vehicle down a two-track And then come back two weeks later and you can still see them tracks. Like I was checking the roads when I was going in, I was extremely cautious making sure that (laughs) nobody else was checking this deer, you know, like I, I wouldn't go there every day and look at him.
0: Right. I think that's a, a big deal. I found that in like, even in some of this high country stuff, the more you're in there, the less active the deer get. Um, just because I think your scent gets pushed around and all that. And right. I think sometimes guys just overdo it by trying to get too close to
2: get a picture or just trying to be in there too much and the wind's wrong. Right. Yeah. And I, I did that too. I made sure I was a mile away from him. I, I craved a good picture of him, but I just... Couldn't do it. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna be the one that messes this up, you know So Gil, I'm a little bit
1: interested. I mean, yeah I want to kind of circle back and actually talk about your process for finding him because obviously I mean you knew Somewhat the general area, but you had no idea, you know exactly where Um, did you use like a grid pattern and just night and morning out there just glassing as much as you could or
2: how did you actually find this deer I did pretty much grid and I started figuring out where I was finding the most deer activity and then I would kind of narrow that spot down and try to find every deer in that spot I would, I would move on and go to the second best spot that I thought or most possible spot. And, uh, I used where the guy that said he seen them. I I went and started there and I just worked my way out to where, to where I just kept seeing the most deer. And I'd watch the deer, and I'd see where they travel for water. I'd see, I just, I just stayed out there. I mean, I'd go out there for three days at a time and and just sleep in my truck and then get up. Because they bed a lot earlier and come out later than I'm used to as well. You know, there's, as soon as that sun comes up, it's, it's there. There's no mountainside to give them shade, no trees. So it kind of sucked during the day. You're kind of just hanging out, nothing to do, but you just drive around. I'd drive down the roads, looking out my window for deer tracks, crossing the dirt roads. Uh, I just hunted him. I started seeing deer. And then finally that one day uh, I seen that deer and I said, that's him. And I just, I knew it. He was he was that big, he had a couple tree stumps coming out of his head already.
1: Uh So even pre May, so we're I mean it's mid May right now. I mean, how many days did you already have on finding this deer?
2: Probably twenty days. That's amazing. (laughs) But yeah. That's what it takes though. And I I seen his sheds, I knew what he was, you know, and he actually put on uh he was 215 and 28 or something in 17 and then he was 240 and 28 gross when I got him so he put on that much but it was it was perfect uh you you guys remember everyone was talking about how all these deer were going to be so huge everywhere because it was so wet We were expecting all this vegetation and it didn't turn out like that everywhere. And why? I don't know, but it sure did for him. Uh, But he normally where he lived, he wouldn't even get an inch of moisture a year. And then by June of that year, it was already like three and a half inches. And so I, I just knew he was going to grow. Oh yeah. Well, I think in uh,
0: in your areas that don't get any rain, a little bit makes a big difference. Like yeah,
2: hundred percent. So talk
0: talk to like the biologist over here. that kind of looks at G and H, and he says his biggest indicator on whether we'll have a good buck year is how hard the winter was. So I yeah. you know I think in the in the high country stuff. The precipitation is not as big of a limiting factor
2: or contributor
0: than it is in the desert units.
2: Right, I would agree. And then the yeah, in the high country, they're just living in like the spring to summer. That's their that's their season for shoot. They're just following the snow up, you know like not right. quite that close, but it's green forever yeah. until yeah, they have green sucks. grass no matter what yeah
0: it's mostly mostly hitting runoff growth I think or you know just melting snow sort of that first uh-huh. protein rich growth that comes up right in the green wave like they say right at the yeah migration people <laughs> yeah that's oh. cool man that's cool that you're uh, all that time paid off I'm sure you've had some some people talk about the, that buck and you just have to laugh at them because they don't know how much work and effort you put into it.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I do not get offended. Like people can <laughs> say what they want. It does not bother me. I, I'm They're free to say what they want. I know what happened. So <laughs> I just smile. Yeah,
1: that's cool, man. So let's talk about your preparation. Like, obviously, um, like, when that guy said that you couldn't do it with a bow, that probably fueled the fire even more. But uh, talk about your preparation, you know, up to the opener for archery, um, what you were doing to get your equipment ready, and just kind of that process before opening day.
2: I got a bow. It's, oh, shoot. 5 years old probably uh an experience bowtech and I thought about I just I like it I I'm comfortable with it and uh so I for a minute I thought about getting another bow just brand new like everything but there was no sense in it it was a good bow shot good but I did go get a new string I did go get new sights. I got a new rest. I, I decked it out. Everything was new. Uh, I, I beat it up a little bit the year before on, uh, elk hunting on horses that, that can be rough on a bow. But, uh, so I got it all dialed in, um, at this place, Dirty North Archery and they got it tuned in good for me. And I, I set up a bow range. I have 20 acres at my house and uh, I set up a bow range and me and my buddy Jordan almost every day, just sitting there shooting all the way out to 110 yards, all the way down to 20, just nonstop every day. I flung so many arrows. I just, (laughs) it was crazy. It was like preparing for war for this thing. I just could not (laughs) accept failure, you know? so so yeah we just shot non-stop um there's a bunch of rattlesnakes out there so i had to go get me some rattlesnake gators i don't know like the the hunting was easy compared to that high country stuff you know so i mean i was ready i just had to tweak a couple things and obviously shoot my bow a lot um that was the first mule deer I've ever shot with my bow. So that was wow. awesome. Just shooting every day and going out and learning every move of that deer. That's pretty much how I prepared. I just And I had to keep telling myself when it got closer that he's just a deer. Like, treat him like a two-point, you know? Don't let them antlers intimidate you. <laughs> uh, I had to keep telling myself he's just a deer. He's just a deer. <laughs>
0: so when not you I mean if you you've had a lot of experience just hunting high country mule deer is this kind of your first time hunting the, the desert
2: yeah yeah um I say I've shot a couple in the sage around Evanston you know but I driving down the road and jump out and walk right. up to a hill and shoot one with a gun type thing didn't really hunt you know so yeah this was my first real hunt in the desert
0: uh so did you notice any like is there any significant differences in behavior or like did you find that a lot of your tactics that you use in the high country did they carry over uh pretty directly or
2: or was it did you have to learn a few things watching that buck like in the high country something that is pretty handy is like spotting one bedded and walking around you know like loud as hell you can just walk however you want and once you crest over the hill you start creeping uh you got to go a lot slower out there uh they can see farther the wind is more so in one direction than in the mountains so that's probably a benefit it was tough too because you know you'd get you'd get a herd of bucks and they'd be spread out a bit so it it could have been a lot harder. Uh, I mean, the stars aligned for me, you know, like it was pretty similar, but you do, I just had to, I honestly did not think I would kill him at night. Uh, I thought it was going to be a morning kill. My plan was to find him when the sun came up, make my best guess on which ditch he would go in depending on where he was, because I kind of knew which ones he liked. He would drop in the ditches at multiple different points, so that he didn't really have trails, you know. Um, But if he got in a ditch, it was kind of tough because he would drop in a ditch, and then I couldn't see him no more. So I don't know if he cut right, cut left, stayed right there, how far he walked. So my plan was to get in the ditch And try to guess if he's gonna go right or left and where he's gonna come in, I had a pretty good idea depending where he would be, you know. And I'd just sit in there and wait for him. And that's how I thought I was gonna kill him. That was that was honestly my my only plan and I had a month to do it, like thirty mornings. Like I'm (laughs) I'm not gonna rush. And that's another reason I wanted to do bow. Like someone could have just, it happens every day. Someone could have just dumb luck been walking by and all of a sudden there's a 240 inch buck staring at you. Like yeah. that's how a lot of the big ones get killed. Oh yeah. And uh, so I wanted to get it done with a bow. I didn't think, I didn't think I was going to kill him at night like I did.
0: So you say so you killed him on September 2nd, huh? That's. Yeah two two days into the season you want to just kind of tell us what day 1 was like and then kind of kind of just go through the details of of how the how everything went down
2: yeah yeah so it actually i'd say started i think it was August 16th was the last day I seen him and then I I said all right I'm leaving I'm not coming back till it's time to hunt so I left Uh, it was four days before September 1st, I went back down there and, uh, I, I set up my camper and I, I just, I was going to stay there till I was done hunting. So I go over there and I'd watch him. I had one spot that I would just go sit. I'd watch him in the morning. I'd watch them at night, videoing the whole time, and then I'd do it again. I did that for four days. Well, the day before the opener, uh, my buddy Nick came up that I that I hunt with. He came up so he could film it. And uh, so opening morning, we, we go over there, and we're sitting there, and he just <laughs> – he's lower. <laughs> he never came out. So – we sat there till oh you know, shoot ten thirty, and never seen him. And so I told Nick, no big deal. Like he disappears. Sometimes he'll, he'll show himself. So we go back to camp and eat and then we come back over and uh, I didn't even plan on hunting. We were just going to watch him at night. So went over there. I mean, obviously still bought, brought my bow, but, uh, just watching him and he came out and we're recording him. Well, then uh, it gets dark. We leave. Well, then the next day we, we show up on the second on the morning and it was the perfect situation. He's always with other bucks, like normally five, six other bucks, sometimes just three, sometimes up to 10. And On the morning of the second, he was by himself and he's standing right, oh, 200 yards from his favorite ditch. And I was like, this is, it's going to happen right now. So Nick's sitting over there, sets up the phone scope and recording. And I get down in that ditch and I walk all the way, all the way to where about where he was and I find these sagebrush and little rock outcropping up on the side of the ditch and so I just climb up the ditch wall and I tuck into that and I'm just sitting there and I can only see about oh 30 yards to my left because the ditch curves but then I can see 100 yards to my right and I'm sitting there and there's a little sage in there. There's decent grass. Probably the best grass was in that ditch. And I never did get to go in the ditches because I wanted to go check them out and see if I could find beds or something. But I never knew these deer were almost like solo. And then all of a sudden wanted to pop out over here, one over here. So I didn't want to go in these ditches and, and blow them out or freak them out or anything. So I just never did get the opportunity to go in where I knew the ditch was empty, you know? I'm in this ditch for the first time and I was amazed at how good the grass was in there. and There was even a tall shoot, four foot sagebrush. Like, I don't know why they ever came out of the ditches, but uh, I end up, I'm sitting in there tucked in there and I keep hearing little birds and stuff in the grass and I think it's him, you know? So I'm just sitting there like biting my nails. Well, I was in there for <laughs> over an hour and he just never came. And so I kind of lean forward and I'm looking over at uh, at Nick and I can see him way out there. He's looking at me through the spotting scope and he's waving me back. I was like, what the heck happened? Like, did he smell me? Like, I don't know what happened. So I just sneak out of there. And I get back to Nick and I said, what happened? And he goes, well, shoot, he he was feeding right to you. And then just, just off to your left, he dropped down in the ditch and Nick could see in the ditch from that angle. And he said he was in there feeding and he was walking right towards you. And he goes, from where I was sitting, it looked like you could see him. But uh, he got about 40 yards from you and then just bedded right there on the same bank as you. So he was sitting oh, my. on my left about 40 <laughs> yards the whole Oh, top. my heck. Yeah, neither <laughs> one of us knew each other was there. So he's sitting there, and I'm sitting here, and Nick says that there was another hunter, and he was off to our right about not quite a mile. And uh, Nick said that that guy was sneaking up on a deer a little two-point and uh he got pretty close to it and the deer seen him and jumped up and it started running towards me and uh there was three other bucks that were now where my deer was that morning and they were feeding towards me and gonna drop in that ditch well they seen that two point running towards them uh just down the ditch a ways it was running towards them and then so they all seen it and they crossed the ditch and ran towards that other deer so now there was four bucks they all got together and nick said they just started to eat but when them ones went through the ditch my deer stood up and was watching them run but then once they started eating, when they all got together, uh, my deer just started eating again. Well, then he he worked his way up out of the ditch and walked like the opposite way of them other deer. And Nick said that he bedded in this little it's not even a ditch. It was just a little little hole in the ground. And uh, he said, yeah, he's r- He's right in there. And it wasn't far from, like, his second favorite ditch. And so I was like, are you sure he didn't go over to that ditch? And he goes, no, I'm pretty sure he's right there. And I said, all right, well, shoot, it don't look like there's anything for shade right there. Like, let's just sit here, see if we can glass him up as the sun moves. Maybe he'll get up, re-bed. We might have a chance to bed him, which I didn't think we'd be able to do. So we sat there. Till about one thirty in the afternoon and never he never got up we never spotted him and uh so we decided we'd go get some food and water well we come back and uh he came out of of that other ditch where where I thought he might've went and he could have went over there while we was gone. But I, I just think the lay of the land, like I said, you think it's flat, but it's not. I think he just worked his way over there and uh, we missed him. So about five thirty, he popped out of that ditch and was gonna, he was just feeding. And I said, I bet he's going to come over here and eat. And he was just going so slow just feeding, taking his time not a worry in the world and about a mile in front of me not quite a mile but there was these little rocks that were probably a foot tall maybe uh four feet long i told nick if i could make it to them rocks without him seeing me he'll walk right past me and i might get a shot and he said well if you think you can get there without him seeing you go try so i do i i go down and, uh, there was just a little hump in the ground that was blocking him from seeing me. So I was walking pretty quick. Uh, only had to go a mile, but I'm, I just didn't want him to, to speed up or nothing. So I'm moving pretty quick, just a fast walk. And I got about, I got about a hundred yards from them rocks. And there was this little, little dip and then a little heel and I would have been to the rock. So I, I stop in that dip and I just bent down and I, I'm knelt down and I'm just kind of uh, swishing my shirt, you know, cooling down, making sure I'm not stinking and sweating and just catching my breath. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm good. So I slowly stand up as I'm just kind of glassing the horizon with my eyeballs and he there he was he was he was already to them rocks and he's eating and he was about 80 yards in front of me and I tried ranging him but I couldn't just because it was like a horizon I just couldn't get a range on him so I was like all right no big deal I'll just I'll just freeze right here I'll just make sure just my eyes are poking up I'll you know and I'll watch him and I'll just let him keep on feeding by once he's over there far enough, I can back out. And so I'm just sitting there watching him at 80 yards, just in awe. And all of a sudden, this freaking deer barks behind me. And I look back, and there's a buck like 15 yards behind me, just standing there staring at me. And I was oh, like, are man. you kidding me? wow. No, yeah. no. So I... So I just, I squat down. Well, he takes off when I turn around and he's running the opposite way of my deer. And so I squat down and I was like, oh no. And I slowly stand up and I'm looking at my deer and he's standing there eating. He didn't even look over. So I was like, Phew, I dodged a bullet there, you know? So <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. So I'm I'm just sitting there like, oh, thank goodness that worked out. Well, I look back, that deer only went like 40 yards and he's standing there again, just staring at me still. I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) So I just, I laid down on the ground right there and I'm laying on my left side, just flat on the ground, but I'm looking over my left shoulder, like, and there's a bush by my head. So I'm just kind of looking through the bush at that deer behind me and he's just staring at me and he's curious, wondering what the hell I am. So he's like taking two steps towards me and moving his head back and forth, just looking at me, trying to figure me out. And I'm like, oh no. And he just keeps slowly moving in on me. And so I end up, I'm, I pick up a rock and I'm like, I'm going to scare this thing off before he gets over here. And so I'm sitting there, and he's, he's coming towards me, and I'm, like, picking up my arm, trying to let him get a whiff of me, you know. And uh, <laughs> the wind's blowing straight at him. I'm like, how are you not running? And so I'm sitting there with this rock, and he gets, like, 20 yards from me again. And he's just standing there staring at me, and I'm pretty close to throwing this rock at him. And he's staring at me and all of a sudden he looks up and he's staring over me now. And I was like, Oh, he's looking at my deer. So I look forward and I can only see like 30 yards, 35 yards in front of me. And, uh, I don't see nothing. So I look back to see if he's still looking at it and he's eating like didn't even care. I was there no more. And (laughs) I laid there for 20 minutes from that point point. And he never looked at me again. He was either eating or looking at my deer. So then I'm like, well, I put the rock down and I just pretty much watched that deer. And when he would look at my deer, I'd know where to watch on the hill. And I was like, if he'll stay here and eat, my deer might come down here and eat with him, you know? And uh, so we just, I just laid there and. Watched him and then watched the hill and waited for that moment when I seen antler tips and, and to top it off, there's, there, it, there was a rattlesnake in front of me, probably 15 yards. Oh man. Just, <laughs> just coiled up. He, he was he didn't rattle or nothing. He didn't move the whole time. He was just sitting there sunning or something, I guess. But, uh, uh, so when I'm looking for my deer, I'm looking like over the rattlesnake and then that <laughs> other deer was behind me. But, uh, so yeah, I just see these antler tips and, and I had my bow laying on the ground in front of me and I had my range finder laying on the ground, just right in front of my face. And, uh, at this point, my, my lower right back is, starting to twitch you know <laughs> I've been laying there in this position for a while having a little muscle spasms but uh so I'm I'm just I grab my range finder put it up to my face I got it backwards <laughs> so I'm trying to flip it around you know and I'm resting all my weight on my left elbow and uh, I finally get it and I ranged the back of his neck at 30 yards oh, by geez. the time I finally range him. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. right there. And so he takes like a couple more steps towards me and then just kind of took a couple steps to the right, to his right. And uh, there was a bush that his head went behind and I stood my bow up. Cause then, yeah, so at that moment I hadn't thought of this yet, but I'm like, well, I can't shoot my bow sideways, like I need to stand my bow up. And uh so I waited for his head to get behind a bush. I stand my bow up, and that was so difficult. I can't wait to to attempt that shot again just on a <laughs> on a target. It was it was insane. Uh, so I got my he steps forward with his left front and I had a perfect shot opportunity right there. And I was guessing he was like 27 yards at this point. So I draw back and just the way I was laying, like my feet are up in the air trying to counter the weight of my upper half now, because <laughs> I can't rest on my elbow no more. So I'm almost sitting on my butt cheek and, uh, draw back it felt like my draw length was about 10 inches too long i guess because the position i was in oh yeah so i'm drawn back and i'm in my peep and i'm just i'm shaking so bad and i'm sure there was some buck fever in there but my back was just like in that position and i'm i'm just in my head i'm like hold still hold still and i held it for a solid 10 seconds, just trying to, to hold still. And, uh, I finally got it and I, I, I was solid on him for two, three seconds. And just, I knew it was, it was perfect. And I just pulled the trigger, man. It freaking it was perfect shot. Blood just gushing out of him every jump, just a gallon of blood, just boom, boom. I was in disbelief. I was like, "Holy cow! It, it just happened."
1: Oh, yeah, not very many people can even be that close to a 240-inch deer, let alone shoot him on your side. That's insane, man. <laughs> it, I guess I better need. I need to practice. I need to practice laying down and shooting on my side. Then, wow, crazy.
2: And, yeah, I'm gonna attempt it again. It was. Uh, It was insane. (laughs) I I probably can't even hit the block when I try
0: it. (laughs) At least you made it count when it mattered, right? Yeah. What a story.
2: (laughs) It was cool. So, yeah, so he probably went 60 yards or so and uh, piled up. And I just, I'm sure you've seen the video. I jumped around like a little girl and, couldn't control myself but uh but then I I didn't walk up to the deer yet I waited for Nick he uh he had about a mile to get to me and he got there and I told him my whole story from my point of view and he told me his (laughs) because from his point of view he thought that I seen my buck walking to me the whole time but I couldn't see it because the little hill and so he's having a heart attack, wondering why I'm not like positioning on my knees or getting ready for a shot, you know. Like, yeah, it was just we both had an amazing moment there, you know, but two totally different yeah. different views. It was cool.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's cool you got to share it with the uh, buddy too.
2: Yeah yeah and then so my other buddy jordan uh, he was another one they were the only two that i really told about it and uh jordan couldn't come until the fourth he had to work till the fourth so if i didn't have it done by then he was going to come be part of it as well but but i did call him and we met up that night after he got off or the next night after he got off work and I can't even You're imagine. Celebrating.
0: I, I hate snakes. I don't know if I can lay 15 yards from one.
2: <laughs> and that's, that's funny because, yeah, my my buddy Jordan, uh, he is petrified of snakes too. And, yeah, we'd see one in the truck, and he'd have a heart attack. I ain't getting out. You go ahead and go check him. was <laughs> hilarious. Uh... So
1: pretty epic buck, but. You mentioned this a little bit, but your dance after the after you shot this buck is pretty darn sweet, dude. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty. That's pretty epic, dude. The what? What a cool rush of emotions! Like, very rarely in our lives are you ever going to have emotions like that. So, what a neat thing!
2: Man, it's just so cool. Like the feeling you get when you—I swear—it ain't no different than. Then a kid growing up playing football and then being on the Super Bowl winning team. Like when you are that passionate about something and you I mean, it's just insane how you feel like I wish I'm glad it didn't happen in a way, but I wish it would have worked out. Like so after I got done bouncing around down there like a ballerina, I actually got my phone out. And I tried recording myself, and I was, I was telling the story to my phone before Nick got there. And, uh, and, yeah, like, there was, like, I'd have to stop talking at times, you know, because I thought I was going to cry. Like, it was pathetic. <laughs> I wish I would have got it. It would have been pretty funny. It's
1: not pathetic at all. You work that hard, you put that much time and effort and lose that much sleep and then have it all come together. It's pretty special.
2: Oh, it is. It is. Yeah, I am so grateful. Huh. I love him. I stare at him every day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, st- I stared at him at the expo. Um, he was one that I had to go check out.
2: But. Oh, he was cool. And I, I got... I don't know what it is, but it's got to be the background like he looks ten times better on my wall. I just <laughs> I don't oh, know yeah. if there was there was no like it didn't pop like it does now and and <laughs> it's just you know you do what you got to do at the expo but yeah he's he's priceless he is so cool
1: so Travis roundy mounted him correct
2: oh, and he nailed it that is correct yeah
1: um so those of you that don't know the the roundy family down in southern utah they they know big deer um and he does an amazing job with his taxidermy just looking through the feed after you know he mounted even to have travis roundy who has killed a 260 inch deer say that that was probably the most impressive buck he's ever handled that that says a lot
2: yeah yeah i did i did my homework before i sent him off anywhere. And and my homework led me to Travis. And then I got to say two uh, trigger fire replicas. That, uh, I don't know if you've seen their stuff, but I did get a couple replicas made because Jordan and Nick were part of this and helped me. I made both of them a set of replicas. And them replicas are spot on they are awesome. they look good
0: is that that's colton banks is that his company
2: yes it is yeah and everyone says all well, going to be hard to top that one well it is but that's why i love mule deer they're all so unique there'll be there'll oh, be yeah. another one that he might not have the mass you know but he'll have He'll have something cool. They're all they're all way cool.
0: Oh yeah. Yep, yeah, that's what keeps you after just trying to find the next one, isn't
2: it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So speaking of that, what's your plan? What's your plan for twenty twenty? Are you gonna search the lower country, or Are you gonna do high country, or are you just not
2: gonna tell us? <laughs> no, honestly see, I'm probably <laughs> gonna go go high country again. Like, I don't know, they're they're in the desert, I mean, they're there, but I don't know, I've seen a lot of deer trying to find him, and even after I found him, just keeping tabs, I've seen a lot of deer, and I've seen some good ones, but I don't know, I just, I love the high country, and they're, they're that big up there too, I mean... Yeah, you're not going to get one every year but uh there's big deer up there too. I I'm just more more familiar up there. I mean, if I if I get a lead on one in the desert, I'll be hunting in the desert. <laughs> but Yeah, that high country's it's just fun. I I like just waking up up there. Oh yeah. I mean, I think
0: we can all look back on some of our experiences, and while most of most of us have never killed a two hundred forty inch buck, we can relate, you know, to uncomfortable stocks oh, yeah. and, and uh, and you know trying not to get busted and having things come together when you don't think it will. And, I mean, yeah, it's roller coaster. A future, yeah, I think that's. Sure. I mean, that's. We talk about trophy hunting and all that, but I think the real thing with it we want to do is challenge ourselves and have uh, experiences that create some growth in our character and and uh, create memories to look back with with our friends and families. So
2: I get excited up. hearing other people's stories, man. Like, uh, yeah, it's just like I said, it's funny how the emotions will if you're that passionate. Like, I catch myself reading all these stories in the magazines and then that that Wyoming Biggest Box book. uh, Like, reading them stories, man. Like, all these guys, it's all the same story as mine. Like, it's so cool.
0: Yeah, truly. Well, hopefully, I mean, our goal here is kind of, the podcast is so fun because we get to connect with people, you know, like you that we wouldn't otherwise. But, you know, everybody's yeah. story has some, something to learn in it. And I, that's kind of the thing that we like to talk about is tips and tactics and kind of glean through, you know, what, what can we learn from, from that experience or that dedication or, you know, I, I think yeah. this thing stand out, especially from your story is man, just finding that deer, like that's a lot of time, 20 days, Looking for, a, a i mean, you knew it was alive, but sort of a dream, you know, chasing rumors. Oh yeah, and, I mean that's a, that's a lot of dedication, and then once you find it, I mean, for me, I always say if I can find the deer once, that's one thing, but if I can find him twice, you know, then yeah. then my odds of killing him go way way up.
2: That's the key. Yeah, if you can find that one buck, like uh, and just hunt him, yeah, that that raises your odds.
1: But yeah, you got to be
2: able to turn down them one nineties that that you see on your way to hunt them, you know.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, that's that's, that's tough in itself. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: So one thing we talk about a lot well, on our podcast, you know, when we got this gear shop over here, but I'm just I want to pick your brain on gear just a little bit. Like, what's what's one what's a, what's your favorite gear item that you use hunting mule deer? Something that you like always have with you that is, like the your favorite thing.
2: I'd have to go with binos, I guess. I mean, spotting scopes are handy when when you're looking far and trying to pick one apart, I guess. But I don't know. I I took off with just my binos and water, you know. Oh yeah, so that's probably my key thing. Would be binos, but what what binos are you using? Uh, l range
0: 10 by 42s yeah
2: I I love the fact that I don't have to have a range finder you know oh yeah that that's pretty handy well right on man we uh yeah I
0: mean I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and you know I think this will be a really cool episode for a lot of guys to tune into and listen to a lot of you know a lot of guys that listen to you know we're pretty sporadic on our podcast but uh you know a lot of the guys tune in are big mule deer guys and i think they're gonna find a lot of value in this one and and, uh so so thanks for taking the time to do it
2: yeah thanks gail we
1: really appreciate it
2: oh you're welcome thank you for the invite